Okay. I want to talk about um, uh, the order of things in the Torah. Now, I mean, we've mentioned it on several occasions, but I think uh, we haven't really talked about it. One would think that the, uh, that the order of things in the Torah would be chronological. And usually it is. Abraham comes before Yitzchak. Yitzchak comes before Yaakov, Yosef, Moshe. Right, it's all, it's all kind of chronological, right, in general. Uh, the Avot comes before Shiabud in Mitzrayim. And that comes before Yitziat Mitzrayim. And that comes before Matan Torah. That comes before going to Eretz Israel. So generally speaking, generally speaking, it is true that things in the Torah are in order. They're in order. But in this parasha, in the parasha Mishpatim, if you look at the sheet, you'll see the second source. This is the second source is from the parasha Mishpatim. It's from our parasha. Vel Moshe Amar Alei El Hashem Atav Aron Adav Yaviv Shivim Mizknei Yisrael Vishtachavitem Mirachok. Now the parasha Mishpatim. The Parsha Mishpatim, this week's Parsha, has two parts to it. There's the first part, and then this part. The first part of Mishpatim is a series of Mishpatim, of laws, on different topics. You know, the, the, the laws of Mishpatim start with the laws of Avdut, of slavery. And then they continue... All kinds of other. It just the pasuk starts. The Torah starts with Ela Mishpatim, Asher Tasim Lifnehem. These are the Mishpatim. These are the laws, and those laws, those laws are in the first part of the parsha of Mishpatim. The second part of the parsha of Mishpatim starts here. Perik of Dalid, pasuk Aleph, and Perik of Dalid, pasuk Aleph says. Well, Moshe Amar, Alei El Hashem, Atav Aaron, Nadav Aviu, Vishivim, Zikle Yisrael. So there's a direct command from Hakadosh Baruch Hu to Moshe Rabbeinu, Alei El Hashem. So we can assume that the pasuk is referring to Moshe Rabbeinu going up on Har Sinai. What else could Alei El Hashem? What else could Alei El Hashem mean? So it certainly means this. Go up to HaKadosh Baruch Now, remember again. <coughs> Matan Torah is in which parasha? Yitro. And before Matan Torah, Moshe Rabbeinu went up on Har Sinai. Now, when we say Matan Torah in Yitro, it's sort of like a misnomer. Right? Even though, I mean, I don't want you if, you, if your children come home from, or grandchildren from Ghan, don't argue this point with them. Let them be. But the Torah was not given to B'nai Yisrael on Har Sinai. The Torah was given to B'nai Yisrael during the 38 years that they spent in the desert. Or we'll say the 40 years, if that's better. During the time that they spent in the desert. That's the time 
that Moshe Rabbeinu taught the Torah to B'nai Yisrael. As he taught the Torah to B'nai Yisrael, he wrote it down. Either he wrote it down as he went along, as a machlokas in the Gemara, whether he wrote it down as he went along, or he wrote it down at the end of the 40 years. Like he had memorized, and he wrote it all down at the end of 40 years. So what happened at Har Sinai? What happened at Har Sinai? I think it's important to remember. Har Sinai, there was a revelation. And that revelation was uh, uh, granted to all of B'day Yisrael. In Hebrew, the word revelation is hitgalut. God appeared to B'nai Yisrael in a certain way. And the way that God appeared to B'nai Yisrael was as the giver of the Torah. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave a little bit of the Torah at Har Sinai. We don't know how little. But the little that was given to B'nai Yisrael at Har Sinai, that little was part of the what we call the Aseret HaDibrot. So Chazal say it was the first Diber, or the second, or combination. It's not so clear. It's not clear, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's what happened on Har Sinai. That's what happened on Har Sinai. The first big chunk of Torah that B'nai Yisrael received was the Parsha of Mishpatim. That's the first big chunk of Torah. Because the Aseret HaDibrot is small. Right, it's not much to it, like in terms of the number of words. And B'nai Yisrael did not hear God say all of the Aseret that they wrote. B'nai Yisrael heard God say the beginning of the Aseret that they wrote, let's say. That itself is a subject of a, of a dispute. But I hope you understand that the parasha of Yitro, the parasha of Yitro which contains what we call in Hebrew, Matan Torah, the Torah was not given. It wasn't given to anybody, as far as we know. Exactly what happened to Moshe Rabbeinu when he went up to get the Luchot, that we don't know. But we do know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu said the words of the Aseret Dibrot, so that everybody could know that this could happen. But if you had a kasha, you say, what? A book with words? You know, you had those kind of kashas. You know, people, the people like to ask. So B'nai Yisrael witnessed in a kind of ultimate matter that HaKadosh Baruch Hu could and would and was interested in giving the Torah to B'nai Yisrael. Who actually gave the Torah to B'nai Yisrael? Moshe Rabbeinu. When did Moshe Rabbeinu give the Torah to B'nai Yisrael? When they were in the desert. Where they were in the desert, so that the revelation of the parish of Yitro proved two things. One, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu would give the Torah, could give the Torah, was interested in giving the Torah, or, you know, put in whatever word you like. And the second is, that the vehicle for bringing the Torah to B'nai Yisrael was Moshe Rabbeinu. And so Chazal say, Chazal say that that means that Moshe Rabbeinu had the capacity for the greatest understanding of Torah. Because Moshe Rabbeinu not only got the words of the Torah, but he received the understanding of the Torah, which he tried to pass on to B'nai Yisrael. And even if that was an imperfect uh, uh, enterprise, Moshe Rabbeinu nevertheless had it as perfectly as you possibly could have it. That's Yitro. 
That's the parish of Yitra. So Moshe Rabbeinu went up at Har Sinai at least once, maybe twice, maybe three times. But the last time that he went up at Har Sinai was which the last time in the parish of Yitra that he went up at Har Sinai, it was Vav Sivan. Or maybe Zion Sivan. I, I, I don't have to like introduce every possible machloket that exists in the Gemara about everything that I say. But it's true. It's true there are... What? Elul? That's long. We, we're, we're far away from that. We're talking about Rosh Chodesh Elul was after the Chaita Egel. Right? Which was Rosh Chodesh and Chaita Egel. Moshe Rabbeinu came down 40 days before the Chaita Egel. Right? He was on the mountain for 40 days. I don't know where those 40 days are yet. We're talking about going up on Har Sinai and getting there south of the brother. Then Moshe Rabbeinu came down. Now, in the, uh, after Moshe Rabbeinu came down, somehow he was enjoined to teach Torah to B'nai Yisrael, and that's the parish of Mishpatim. Right? The first part of the parish of Mishpatim is Torah. Teach them this Torah. And then the second part begins... So you say, and you may be right, that Moshe Rabbeinu is now going up again on Har Sinai in order to spend 40 days and 40 nights to learn the entire Torah. Which seems to be the way we, we understand it. That Moshe Rabbeinu went up and he spent 40 days and 40 nights on the Har Sinai and he learned the entire Torah. But he didn't teach the entire Torah. When he came down from those 40 days, when he came down from the he came down with the Luchot, right? Not only with the Aserita Debrot content, but with Luchot for some reason. And he broke those Luchot, spent 40 days in the Nachaneh, went up on Har Sinai again for 40 days, came down again with the second Luchot, and that was Yom Kippur. But we're only in the first part. In Yitro, Moshe Rabbeinu goes up, everybody hears their Sarit to Debrot, then I guess he comes down again. And so here in Perik of Dalet Posuk Aleph, you would say, oh, here is Moshe Rabbeinu about to go up on Har Sinai a second time, and he's going to spend 40 days and 40 nights on Har Sinai. Perfectly reasonable. Perfectly reasonable interpretation. But look at Rashi. Rashi says, Pasuk Aleph, Parashazo ne'emra kodem aserta dibrot, besivan ne'emar lo ale. So in other words, Rashi didn't get it. You know, he just says, can't be? It can't be. So Rashi says two things. First, he says something about what the Torah really meant to say, which is less interesting to me than the fact that Rashi pays absolutely no attention to the fact that this parish is written in Mishpatim. And he says, without the blink of an eye, that it belongs in Yitro. Why isn't it in Yitro? Rashi doesn't explain Rashi never explains when he says Ein Muktamu Muchabatur. I never explain. He didn't say those words, but he never explains. And the reason that Rashi never explains is 
that Rashi somehow thought that this was a normal thing for the Torah to do. Why should the Torah put it in the right place? When it could put it in the wrong place? So put it in the wrong place. If you would say that there was some mystical idea connected to putting it in the wrong place, so then the wrong place would become the right place, wouldn't it? No. Like if Rashi would say, the Torah should have put it over there, but it puts it over here. It puts it over here in order to teach us some great lesson, so then this becomes the right thing to do. But Rashi never says that. Rashi says, oh, it's just the wrong place. Make believe it's over there. He doesn't explain it. Yes or no, it's true. It's true that the Gemara, I also mentioned this, that the Gemara in Psachim and Davov points out that there's at least one case in the Torah where Ein Mukdamu Mukharba Torah is absolutely necessary. And that's the beginning of Bamidbar. The beginning of Bamidbar, you should know, you should remember the first passage in Bamidbar. The first passing in Bamidbar. The first passing in Bamidbar says, it's not on the sheet. That's what the first passing in Bamidbar says. When was this? On the first day of the second month. What's the second month? Yeah, very good. If you look in Bamidbar, Perektet, Perektet, which is uh, again the story of Pesach Sheni, Pesach Sheni. Remember, people came to Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, and they said, "Look, we're tmeim. What should we do? How can we keep Pesach?" So Moshe Rabbeinu told them that there's Pesach Sheni, not only fifteenth of Nisan, but also the fifteenth of Iyar. What Perek Tet says, "By the Be'ah Hashem al Moshe Basinah b'Shanah Sheni b'Tzaytam Meretz Mitzrayim b'Chodesh Harishon Leimor." So the Gemara says. The way it says, hey, in the first passage of Bamidbar it says, Bachodesh Hashaini. In Paraktet in Bamidbar it says, Bachodesh Harishon. Oh, Ein Mukdam Umuchar Batara. Like the Gemara says, so don't be nervous. That's the way it is. That's the way it is. And now, and now we have an interesting question. When the Gemara said that about this, what did the Gemara mean? Did the Gemara mean that this is the only case of Ein Mukdam Mochaba Torah? What did the Gemara mean? Well, there's like a new Parshanut principle called Ein Mukdam Mochaba Torah so that whenever something bothers you, the chronology bothers you, you just say Ein Mukdam Mochaba Torah. Rashi accepted that principle, the idea that Ein Mukdam Mukhar Batara is an operative principle. You know, it, it works. See, so you have a problem. So you say Ein Mukdam Mukhar is like, it's like saying abracadabra. And everything goes away, everything's fine. Everything's fine. The Ramban, the Ramban on the other hand, agrees that when there's no hope, and the Torah seems to say that it's like in disarray chronologically. So we'll accept that. But whenever we can like pull ourselves out of it in some other way, we should do so. And this is the famous machloket that exists between Rashi and the Ramban. <clears throat> Neither Rashi nor the Ramban explain to us what their position is. 
It's just that the Rambam keeps insisting that if the Torah doesn't say anything, it must be chronological. And Rashi keeps saying, doesn't matter. If the Torah doesn't want to be chronological, it doesn't have to be. Why should I strain myself? Why should I stress myself out to figure out how this fits in? I'll just say it doesn't fit in. Perfectly good. It has no implication. It doesn't reference anything. The Gemara doesn't explain why Pesach Sheni was chosen to highlight this feature. And so we also don't know. We don't know why this is highlighted. So we say, forget about it. Doesn't make any difference. That's what... So now let's look at this parasha a little bit. So Rashi says, Right now, everybody agrees that the Sarita de Brot are in Perik Kaf. In Perik Kaf, in Shemot. And Perik Yutet, chapter 19, is the chapter that describes for us the preparations for Moshe Rabbeinu going up at Har Sinai and B'nai Yisrael standing there and receiving the Aserita de Brot. So here, we're up to Perik of Dalit, right? We've gone a long way since Perik Yutet. And Rashi says, put Perik of Dalit into Perigutet. That's what he said. That's our, that's our only hope, right? Then, So now we have Moshe Rabbeinu specifically going up on Har Sinai. So before Moshe Rabbeinu goes up, goes up to Har Sinai, he goes and he goes up uh, this command, he tells them, tells all of B'nai Yisrael what God wanted. Now, it says in the Pasuk, it says, et kol ha-mishpatim. Doesn't it say that in the Pasuk? And therefore, what would you think that that's referring to? What do you think that's referring to? Mishpatim. The parish of Mishpatim. But what does, what does Rashi say? At kol divrei Hashem, at kol divrei Hashem. You see the Rashi, mitzvat prisha v'hagbala, prisha that the men should separate from their wives, hagbala that they should not go beyond a certain point at Har Sinai. When was that? When were the mitzvot of prisha and hagbala given in terms of chapters? Chapter nineteen. What happened to mishpatim? No, Rashi says, no, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean Mishpatim. Mishpatim, what does the word Mishpatim mean? He says, Sheva mitzvot shenitztavu b'nei noach, v'shabat v'kibur avraim u'pehmara dumad v'dinim shenitnu lem b'mara. What do you think about that? I know, I know that it's not often that we read Rashi word for word. Right? Which may not be such a good thing. But, you know, even when you read Rashi, and you don't know what Rashi is talking about, it's worthwhile to consider. What is he talking about? What is this? What is he talking about? Well, everybody knows that the Sheva Mitzvot B'nai Noah have been around since, since Noah. So that the Jews were the Mitzrayim slaves, 
They must have known the Sheva Mitzvot and Enoch. Then he says, he says, they, they were around, seven mitzvot, even before Matan Torah. You didn't need Matan Torah for the Sheva Mitzvot, but they know it. So he says, the Shabbat, the Kibbutzah, Abel, Paraduma. What is that? Right, there's a posok in, in Bishalach. You know Bishalach? Bishalach is before Yidro. Shovavim. You know Shovavim? Shovavim. Shmot for Eira Bo B'Shalach Yisro Mishpatin Shov with Ger Shayim. It's an abbreviation. You know, it's an abbreviation for a period of the year. It's the time that you read the parashas of Shmos for Eira Bo B'Shalach Yisro Mishpatin. Now that's a mystery, right? But you can look it up. Look it up on Google, and you'll find out what Shovavim is. <laughs> so he says, so we know that there's a tradition in Chazal that when they got to Mara, Mara is the name of a place, Sham, Sam, Lo, Chok, Umishpat, Visham, Nisau. There's no Balikriya, only Shalom Yanka. Sham, Sam, Lo, Chok, Umishpat. Chok, Umishpat, what are they? So Chazal said, what Chok, what Mishpat? And that's what they said. They said, Shabbat, Kibbut Ava'eim, Paraduma. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu taught B'nai Yisrael. When did he teach that to B'nai Yisrael? Before they got to Har Sinai. After Shirat Hayam. Before they got to Har Sinai. When they got the man. So does, what does Rashi say? What does Vet Kola Mishpatim? The Pasuk says, right? You remember? The Pasuk says, so we said, like, you know, bitmimutainu. Naively, we would say, what's that called abishmatim? That's the parsha, bishmatim, all the rules of bishmatim. Rajah said, no. Since this parsha is taking place when? When is it taking place in Perak? Yotet. And where does the parsha bishmatim start? In Perak Kavalev. So he says, so obviously he can't be talking about that. So what mishpatim did the Jews have when they were preparing for the revelation on Har Sinai? So Rashi says, well, Sheva Mitzvot B'nidach. Remember them? And then all the mitzvot, whatever the mitzvot were, that Moshe Rabbeinu taught B'nai Yisrael when they reached Marah, which was in the parasha of Bishalach, right? You remember Shirat Hayam is chapter 15. Like I, hate, I hate to quote the chapters, you know, because the chapters were put in by non-Jews. And so wherever, wherever we can avoid uh, having non-Jewish support for the Torah enterprise, I figure that's a good thing, but it's the easiest way to reference it. Shirat Hayam is chapter 15. Preparation for Har Sinai is chapter 19. I said that they brought this chapter 20. And Mishpatim, Mishpatim, I think it's 22. What's Mishpatim? 21 is Mishpatim. And here at the end of Mishpatim is 24, right? Chapter 24. So Rashi says that chapter 24 really belongs, where does it really belong? Well, at 19. So if it belongs at 19, it couldn't have gotten something from... 21. You know, like in this kind of number game we're playing. That couldn't be. 
It couldn't mention. Rashi says. Rashi really loses an opportunity to say the things are written in order. He doesn't want it to be written in order. Almost. It's almost. As though Rashi's not trying. He's not making an effort. Because after all, like if I had my brothers, I would say, let it be in order. Why should you make it be in non-order? I mean, that's like really, it's a mystery in the Rashi scheme of things. But Rashi is not finished. Rashi says, look at Pasuk Dalit. We're still in chapter 19, right? So it says, So in chapter 19, what, pray, could Moshe Rabbeinu have written down? They didn't get the Torah yet. I see you're not impressed by my enthusiasm. You think I'm kidding you, right? No. This really doesn't make any sense. Rashi says, what was it that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote down that he was going to show B'nai Yisrael in chapter 19 before they received the Aseret that they brought? What? So Rashi says, Moshe, you see Pasuk Talit? matan Torah. I don't know what that means. I mean, I know what it means. I don't really know what it means. That Moshe Rabbeinu wrote down, I mean, after all, B'nai Yisrael, they were in Mitzrayim. So in Mitzrayim, they, it was difficult for them. When they came home at night, their mothers told them the stories about Avraham, about Yitzchak, about Yaakov, until they came to Mitzrayim. So they had an oral tradition. That's what we would say today. There was an oral tradition that they all had. What did Moshe Rabbeinu do? He went and wrote, he wrote up the oral tradition. He wrote up the oral tradition. He wrote it up. What words did he use? Was it like our Sefer Torah? Was it different? I don't know. I don't know. But again, Rashi insists that all of this happened in chapter 19, before the Torah was given, and before there was a text, there was anything to write down. Doesn't matter. Rashi just plows ahead. He just plows ahead. And then he says, uh, and then he says also, and he added to this, to this story of Breshit until now, he added to that story the mitzvot that they had received in Marah. Right? Remember, Paraduma, Kiburavayim, those three mitzvot that, that Rashi uh, mentions before. He says, Shabbat, Kiburavayim, Paraduma, Vidinim. Right, that's what, that's what he says. Dinim are also one of the Shev, the mitzvot, but they know, but it doesn't matter. They were mitzvot. So Moshe Rabbeinu wrote it down. He wrote up this little book. And the little book had the story of B'nai Yisrael, of, of the world, from Bereshit until the slavery in Mitzrayim and the Exodus. And then he also wrote down the mitzvot. That's what Rashi did. Then, in the same pasuk, the same pasuk, at the end of the pasuk, it says... Uh, you know the Torah says always when people want to do a mitzvah they want to follow God's direction they got up early Rashi says Rashi is not going to let this go is obviously before Vav Sivan 
or in the Gemara of Amsivan, Zayin Sivan, doesn't matter, but it's before the revelation on Har Sinai, without a doubt. Right? You don't need a rocket scientist to figure this out. This is the way it is. This is how it is. And Rashi, who was a great teacher, was afraid that some clever student would come along and say Rashi didn't mean it. You know how people are want to do? You say, oh yeah, he said it, but he didn't mean to say it. Or you didn't parse the sentence correctly. Right, so Rashi, in order to, prov- to, to make sure that there would be no Nudnikin who came along and did that, he just said the same thing over and over and over again. Until it's like, it's hopeless, you can't fight it. But what can you do? You can't say every word that comes out of Rashi didn't mean. That's a little bit too much. Okay, the rest of it, the rest of this passage is very interesting and very important. But I would like to, uh, well, let's look for a, a little bit at the Ramban. The Ramban, in the beginning of this parasha, in, uh, I, I don't think we'll go through the whole Ramban, but I'll just, uh, again, I always say you can learn it. Right? So the Ramban says this on page 2. The Ramban says, Parashazo Kodam Aserte Dibrod Barba Siban Nemrula Loshon Rashi. The Ramban says, this is Rashi's position. That this parasha belongs in chapter 19. Why isn't it written in chapter 19? Rashi doesn't say. What lesson do I learn from the fact that it's not written in chapter 19, but here in chapter 24? We don't know. Is there a point to this? I haven't got a clue. I haven't got a clue. Rashi doesn't even intimate that there might be a point to this kind of reorganization of the material. So the Ramban says, He says that, the, according to Rashi, these parashiyot are not ordered and they have no they, they have no seder. They have no meaning. If you read them in order, they don't mean anything. This doesn't sound right to me. Because if you look at the Pasuk, if you look at the Pasuk, the Pasuk on Perek, Perek of Dalit, uh, it sounds like Moshe Benu is teaching them or telling them new things, things they didn't know. Whereas according to Rashi, he's just telling them things that they all knew about. They all knew about the Shevet Mitzvot B'nai Noach, and they knew about the, uh, the stories of Abram and Yitzhak and Yaakov, and they knew about the mitzvot that they had learned in Marah. So why would this have to be like a special event that Moshe Rabbeinu 
would tell them these things that they all knew. Uh, I'm in line six, towards the, uh, the second half of the line. Kvahitiv l'rod Rabbi Avraham. He's talking about the Ibn Ezra. Shapiresha e'nyan kisidro. That's the point. So the Ramban, there's a very long digression in the Ramban in which he tries to explain, according to the Ibn Ezra, that all of these things might really be in order. Now, I, I don't think that I can try to explain that. I think we should, you should understand that the Ramban makes a heroic effort and maybe, you know, a good effort I mean, it, to, to explain that the things are written actually in order. And that this parasha, Perakav Dalit, is about Moshe Rabbeinu going up on Har Sinai again to spend the 40 days and the 40 nights. When Moshe Rabbeinu went up on Har Sinai on Vav Sivan, he went up and he came down again. He did not spend 40 days and 40 nights. So that there's really a simple answer to the question of the chronology. And it's probably true that had Rashi wanted to, he could have explained just as the Ramban explained, that these parashiyot are written in order. And so for me, the question is this. Why? Why was it that the Rashi and the Ramban made an issue of it? My question of Rashi is, since Rashi could have said that this was in order, that these parashiyot were written in order, why didn't he? And my question on the Ramban is, why did he have to take up the fight? Obviously, if you say nothing, the assumption would be that it's written in chronological order. You don't have to say that Avram came before Yitzchak. So you don't have to say that the second time Moshe Abedi went up on Har Sinai, was after the first time Moshe Rabbeinu went up on Harsina. So what's the, what issue lies behind the argument between Rashi and the Rambam? In order to explain that, in order to explain that, I want to look at two different sources. One is the Svatemet. Svatemet was the second Rebbe of Gur. Right? The first Rebbe was the Chidushi Arim. And the second was the Sfat Emet. Sfat Emet lived, you know, in the 20th century. He was the grandson of the Chidushi Arim, as we've pointed out in the past. His father died when his grandfather was still the Rebbe, and he grew up in his grandfather's house. The grandfather of Chidushi Arim was considered to be the Godel Hadar in Poland, not only for Hasidim, but for everybody. But he was a devout chassid, he was a Talmud of the Kotzker, and, uh, and he started this chain, or this uh, dynasty, that today is called Ger, or Gur. In Israel, they like to say Gur. Um, and he wrote these comments on the Chumash, which were printed in a variety of forms and are very popular. A lot of, uh, a lot of people like to learn the Svat because it 
it focuses on an idea and does not uh, bring in as much of the wealth of material that could be brought in because they're all based on on oral discourse. You know, these are things that the Rebbe said. And therefore, he couldn't uh, really annoy everybody as much as he might have been able to, so that it's, uh, you, you can learn it. You can learn the Svatimet. I mean, not, you know, it's not automatic. You don't just pick up the book and it goes into your head. You have to put in a little effort, but it's not, uh, it's not terrible uh, by any means. So people like the Svatimet. The second, of course, is the Ramban. The Ramban himself, in his Perush Al-HaTorah, Perush Al-HaTorah wrote a long introduction. And in that introduction, the Ramban says something about, about this issue, I think. But we're going to learn them backwards, chronologically. Even though there's 700 years between the Ramban and the Svatimet, we'll start from the Svatimet, and then we'll look at the Ramban. So if you look at page 3 of the Svatimet, Medrash. Yikarahi <coughs> mitpininim. What is more desirable than than pninim? Uh, uh, pninim are uh, pearls. Pearls. Bikoin gadol shenichnas lefnai ubefnim. Okay, you know, all uh, this is like a flory beginning. Ki agam sheyseder madregot ba'olam. There is seder madregot ba'olam. And there was the word Seder. I mean, of course, you understand that Svatamet knew Nigle and Nistar. He was a Kabbalist and he was a Halachist. So, the word Seder, which appears, you know, in a prominent place on Pesach, is an important word in Jewish thinking. And that the fact that the Torah describes Briata Olam as taking place over seven days and each day dealing with a different aspect of the created world and that somehow we understand that really day one had to come before day two etc it wasn't just that day one came before day two but this is the way you had to if you, if you would set out any of you to create the world that would be a good way to do it. Right? Don't do it all at once. Do it according to a Seder. The word Seder therefore became one of the main words that is used in understanding the nature of the world. The nature of the world is that it has a Seder. And Lule the Mistafina, I would talk about chemistry and physics and you know, the, 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 the periodic table of elements. I mean, you can find a lot. You know, a Seder is very important for understanding things. If, if everything was chaotic, then we would never be able to understand anything. It's because there's Seder in the world that we're able to study things and analyze them and have conclusions about them, etc. So Seder is a very important word when describing reality. And it's also a very important word when trying to understand the relationship of God to the created world, Seder, the word Seder, even though it's a simple Hebrew word. Agam Seder Madregot Ba'olam. Right, in the world there are lower things and there are higher things. Like most people would agree 
that stones, inanimate objects, are lower somehow than flowers and fruits and things that grow, that live. And they are yet lower than people. People who have, besides being able to live, besides breathing and, and existing and reproducing, we also think and we talk and we talk to each other. And this is a Seder. This is a kind of Seder. It says, Hagam Seder Madregot Ba'olam Torah Torah. That's out of the box. The Seder. But Torah? Torah is way off the scale. Why? Because the Torah is Shmotav Torah is somehow comprised of the names of HaKadosh Baruch Now I'll, show, I'll, I'll tell you what that means presently, but let's make believe for a moment that we know what that means that Torah is the names of God, I don't know what it means but you know, if I sat here and I blinked my eyes and I closed my eyes and I looked up to the sky, then you'd all say that was good, you know that, that I really did understand it. but that, I admit that we don't understand it, the only thing is I want to remember it, it sounds important, Torah it sounds like an important idea so he says, Shinikra Shalom. And we know that one of the names of a Kodesh Borchu is Shalom. Shirashirim, Asheli, Shlomo. And the Chazal said that every time, every time the word Shlomo, or every time Shalom is mentioned, all these words, Shulamit, they're all references to God. So he says, Rechi, Torah, Hashem, Tmima. And we also know that the Torah, that God's Torah is perfect. Lachain, Okay. <laughs> so, so in, in other words, there's a hierarchy. This is what this is what he says. There is this hierarchy. This is Bamidbar. This is not our parsha. This is someplace else in the Torah, but the parsha of Naso. So he says, he says, he says, I'm sorry. I, I, I want to. Um, I'm in the second line. Perfection means that it's whole. You get that? Yesh bekol ot hakol. Every letter of the Torah has hakol in it. You know what hakol is? Hakol is the emptying of all the svirot into malchut. That's called kol. That's called kol. Everything, everything comes together into everything else in every letter of the Torah. Velachem ein mukdam umuchar b'Torah. And therefore, he says, Ein mukdam Because what does mukdam umuchar b'Torah mean? What is mukdam? What is, I'm sorry, what does yesh mukdam umuchar b'Torah mean? Chronology. What does chronology mean? 
What does chronology mean for this Svatimet? Chronology means it's after the creation of the world. Because when the world was created, this everybody agrees. You don't, you don't have to be a great philosopher, but you can be like me, a minor philosopher. And you would agree that the world, the creation of the world, was the creation of time. Even though it doesn't say in the parish of Breshit that time was created. But in order to have time, what do you have to have? What's the other word that goes along with time? Change. Good. Time? Change, right? In other words, how do you know what time it is? Well, because there's sunrise and the sunset, and it takes a certain amount of time, and it repeats itself. So we cleverly were able to figure out a way of, of time. But let's say you lived there where nothing changed. Nothing ever happened. Ever. So what time would it be? Now? It wouldn't be any time. There would be no time. Time doesn't pass like a train. Time is the way we see change. So if we could find things in the world that change periodically, we can use them to tell the time. So that the word time and the word change are connected to creation in the following way. Before creation, before creation, there was no time. And there was no change before creation. After creation, there's change. Things die. Things are born. Things change. After creation, there's time and there's change. So that, Svatimet says this, Yesh Mukdam Umuchar Batorah equals the English word chronology. When can you have chronology? When can you have chronology? Only after creation. But if the Medrash says, uh, the Medrash says, what does the Medrash say? What? Estakel, Estakel, Boraita, Ubara, Alma. Meaning, for our purpose, if you had to, God could look in the Torah and create the world, so that means that the Torah pre-existed the world. So if the Torah pre-existed the world, then what would we expect to find in the Torah? Some, some reference to timelessness. Some rejection of chronology. Because the Torah, after all, was the Torah that existed before the creation of the world, which HaKadosh Baruch used in order to create the world. And therefore, even though the Torah has a lot of chronology in it, finding in the Torah non-chronological material is far from remarkable. Quite the contrary. Rashi says, he doesn't say, but I will take the Svas Ebbis so or we'll put it into Rashi. What does Rashi say? Are you surprised? You surprised that the Torah is not chronological? The nature of the Torah is such that it should be averse to chronology. So if it's true that Avram comes before Yitzchak, Yitzchak comes before Yaakov, and Yaakov comes before B'day Yisrael in Mitzrayim, so that's for our benefit. 
Because we would get confused. It's hard to... It's a schwer halten cup, as they say. I, I can remember. How can I remember? Who goes where? What goes if it was all mixed up? So the Torah does us a chesed. And maybe that's what Rashi means. Or this I say parenthetically. That first Moshe Rabbeinu wrote it down. If Moshe Rabbeinu wrote down the stories of Bereshis until Yitziat Mitzrayim, it must have been chronological. Because that's the way we are. We remember things. We understand them as part of a chronology. Right? All, the, all these university subjects that people take of the history of sociology or, or uh, economics, they're all connected to history, to how things work out. Imagine if we didn't know how to do that. We wouldn't know anything. We'd still be living in caves someplace. So Rashi says, Why should I explain that? That's normal, Rashi says. That's a perfectly reasonable thing. And where should this feature of Ein Mukdamu Chabatra come up more than any other place in the Torah? In the story of Matan Torah. That's as though Rashi says, the closer you get to Matan Torah, the closer you get to, like, the essential Torah somehow, the less you expect, the less you expect to have chronology. As so you see, the whole book of Shemos whole book of Shemot, starting from Bishalach, Yisro, Mishpotim, Teruma, Tetzaveh, Kisiso, Vayakel, Pekudeh, the whole book of Shemot is a chronological mess according to Rashi. And Rashi does not feel the need at any time to explain this mess. And that's what the Swasemis said. The Swasemis said, look, if the Torah precedes creation, then one would expect that it would not stick to the chronological principle. And there would be things out of order. And that would be perfectly reasonable. And according to Rashi, where is this going to happen? It's going to happen in Matan Torah. I want to read the Ramban. You see the last, the last thing on the page is the Ramban? The Ramban... Uh, in his introduction, I told you the Ramban wrote an introduction, wrote an introduction to the books of the Torah. To Shmos and Vayikra, Bamidba, Devarim, Shmos, But he also wrote a very long introduction to Torah. What's Torah? What is it? And towards the end of that introduction, the Ramban says the following. Od Yesh Piyadenu Kabbalah Shel Emet. He says, we have this Kabbalah Shel emet. The word emet, of course, refers to kab- what we call Kabbalah. Right, you know, you know that word? You can sit on your pillow in the lotus position and dream yourself away. That's Kabbalah. Kabbalah, but here he says Kabbalah shel emet. Kabbalah means a tradition. According to the Ramban, Moshe Rabbeinu received at Har Sinai two Torot Shebalte, two sets of oral law. One was called Nigleh, and the other is called Nistar. That's what the Ramban said. And therefore, it's important to explain the Torah according to both traditions. But in his introduction to the Torah, here, in his introduction, the Ramban says, You know, I want to tell you something about Torah, which I learned when I studied Kabbalah. 
we have a tradition, we Kabbalists, we who have studied that material, we have a tradition. What is our tradition? Kikol HaTorah Kula Shmotav Shel HaKadosh See? Svat Emet? You think the Svat Emet knew the Ramban? Could be. That could be. Shmotav Shel HaKadosh And then the Ramban says, Shatevot Bitchalkot Lishemot Binyan Echad he says, he says that if you knew how to read the psukim of the Torah, like Breshit bara Elokim, Eta Shemayim Veta Aretz, if you know how to read that, you would see God's name, God's name, God's name, God's name. You wouldn't see the words, but you'd only see God's name. How so? How could this be? He says, imagine this. I mean, I don't think he means that this is what it is. But he says this is a way of sort of imagining that the names of God are in the Torah. And he says, Kipasuk Bereshit, at the first Pasuk of the Torah, Yitchalek Letevot Achayrot. Like, let's just, you just write the letters in order. You write the letters in order. And therefore, you add, but you can read them differently. You can put the division, the, the word dividers differently. So you could, the first word, he says, could be Barosh. The second word could be Yitbara. And the third word, Elokim. Like, you don't have to read the words as we read them. But you can read the letters in any kind of way that you want. And therefore, if you knew how to do it, that's really what the Ramban said. If you knew how to do it, what would you read? God's name and God's name and God's name and God's name. And therefore, uh, we're just... Uh, Okay, that, that's what the Ramban, that's what the Ramban says. Therefore, I think that what the Ramban was trying to tell us was that there's a super principle to writing the Torah. Right? There's a super principle, and that principle is, that principle is that there's a divine order. That even in heaven, there's an order. And what is the order of things in heaven? God's name. God's name. That since God's name has a beginning and an end, whatever the name is, to say that the Torah is made up of God's name means that it has an order. And therefore, the Ramban was against the notion of Ein Mukdam Umuchar, of Ein Mukdam Umuchar Even though the Svas Emes explained to us that chronology should not be a necessary part of understanding the Torah. The Ramban said, yes, I can understand that. But I cannot understand that the words of the Torah would not be in some divine order which would be closer to chronology than to non-chronology. So you see that the Svas Emes and the Ramban agree about one thing. And they agree that the Torah cannot be analyzed exactly the same as you would analyze another kind of text. And that there are principles that are supra, supra literary principles which demand that the Torah acts sometimes in an odd way.
on the, hand, on the one hand, the Svasema says, it makes sense to me that Rashi says that the Torah should not be chronological, unnecessarily chronological, because after all, the Torah is from before the creation of the world. On the other hand, the Ramban says, there still must be a divine order to things. And that divine order to things is found in this idea that Kola Torah Kula Ishmotav Shel HaKodesh Baruch So I should be able to follow along in the Torah properly. There's got to be an order. And that order is like chronology, but the purpose of it is totally different. It's to make sure that the divinity of the Torah is, is secure. And since the whole Torah Shmotav Shel HaKodesh so there's an order, and that order is reflected in, uh, in chronology. So I think that uh, uh, you see that the, the Mepharshim, the Mepharshim were, were um, uh, distressed about this Bachloket. I mean, they, they, they didn't think that it was a worthy subject, either for Rashi or for the Ramban. The Svat Emet changes the Rashi position to something noble, and the Ramban changes the Ramban position, or explains the Ramban position, have something to do with the Kabbalistic notion that changes, in fact, also our idea of what a book written by God and given to man is going to be. And so the Ramban says, Shemotav Shalakarish means that you can't upset the order. The order is mandatory. The order is necessary. And every time you say, Ein Muktam Muchaba Torah, you're kind of changing the order in the Torah. So when the Torah itself tells you, Ein Muktam Muchaba Torah, the Ramban is willing to give in. But if the Torah doesn't tell that to you, he's going to do everything that he possibly can do to discover the order in the Torah itself, because the Torah is Shmatav Shel HaKadosh Baruch. Have a good chance.